Are you ready to take your leadership in your organization to the next level and beyond? Your competitors will be there before you know it. Today's leaders must perpetually innovate their leadership approach, evolve their organizations, and grow faster than the competition. Welcome to Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet innovative leaders who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here is your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, welcome to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute. We help leaders identify disruptive trends and develop strategies to transform themselves and their organizations into industry leaders. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organization. I'm also a fellow with the International Leadership Association. I am delighted to have a really robust call today focusing on why businesses don't embrace it, sustainability. Uh, we have three guests. Our first is Christoph Henske. He's the CEO and founder of the Engagement Company, which provides strategic and organizational design services to change makers for good. Being a global change manager, by training, his passion is to empower leaders to thrive in hyper-networked markets. In the day-to-day business of working with organizations and networks, he helps them to design and execute systemic strategies and sound psychological contracts with their key stakeholders. He's also referenced in Forbes, highlighted in the UN PRME, and published by the German government. And Christoph and I have worked together and are strategic partners. He is someone to whom I look on many different subjects and whose input and guidance I hold quite dear. Our second guest is Michelle Thatcher. She's the CEO and co-founder of the U.S. Green Chamber of Commerce. Utilizing her 25 years in nonprofit sustainability and business leadership experience, she and her team have developed a national advocacy, networking, and educational platform for green businesses, including an online sustainability business associate certification. Michelle brought together an international network of innovative business leaders to develop the, the Global Green Chamber of Commerce, a platform for national and regional green chambers around the world. Our third guest is Ku Hock An. Uh, he's made more than 30 years of experience as a journalist managing regional trade associations, closely following technology trends, formulating multi-stakeholder-based sustainability standards, and encouraging innovation. He strives to achieve a fundamental shift in the way the world is viewed at the individual, organizational, and market level. This show is focusing on sustainability. Business as usual can no longer be the leading thought process in regard to environmental impacts made by business. We're at a critical point where sustainability and impacts on the environment by business practices must be considered. So what as leaders can we do to make a difference in the high, in these highly sensitive decisions. So we are going to um, break the show into three segments. Uh, the first is going to be the slow change in sustainability and talk a little bit about why that's happening. 
And then second is encouraging favorable corporate behaviors. And then the third is going to be what leaders can do to make a difference. So let's jump into the first one. Why don't we have more leaders who operate their businesses from an earth-centric capitalistic model that builds on innovation and entrepreneurship at the same time does not cost our planet and our society social integrity? Christoph, can we start off with you on this question? Yes. Um, so welcome. Welcome, Maureen. I'm really happy to be here on the show again. Um, I'm now calling in from the Netherlands. So I... I think the first thing that I want to make is a distinction between not wanting and not being able to. So, um, you know, working with large and small companies, politicians and civil society leaders, I continuously observe that all of them actually wish to leave a great legacy. You know, no one wants to be remembered as the one who kind of screwed it up. That's, That's not an option for any one of them. So... For me, it's it's just nothing. What I experience is nothing that they desire or that that they intend to do to be the one that's remembered as making a contribution to screwing up our planet, so or the industry, you know. And but moreover, and to be precise, and I'm not only referring here to companies or politicians who are often blamed, but actually NGOs and philanthropy are very often unconsciously doing more harm to society, economies and ecosystems, and they're doing good. So, you know, why is that so? Why do, we, why do I say that? Um, and this is what I mean with because I can't. So to be clear, we all do what we consciously or unconsciously learned. Kind of, we use tools, we use frameworks and mindsets. We learn through formal or informal processes, kind of be, be it formal through education in universities or in schools or informal peer-to-peer settings like on the job, you know, in the job, what I learned from, from my partners. But however, what, what we see is that, these, that they use tools and frameworks that are very often the tools and frameworks that created the problems we actually now want to solve. So said another way, just try to explain me how to extinguish a fire with gasoline, However, I think that's what we as decision makers try to do every single day. We use tools and frameworks that created the problems and expect them to be solved by them. And, but I want to be fair. I think over the last 15 years or 20 years, there's a lot that's changed. And I think leaders are now applying tools and framework with much more consciousness because we have so much knowledge about climate change and the benefits of sustainability, you know, on on, on risk um, risk mitigation, etc. But still, I can use gasoline as consciously aware as I want. I will always only make the fire bigger. So, to conclude, a short intro for me is that um, I think we do not see widespread change because we lack mainstream institutions that help us learn new tools and frameworks and help us to come together. So in 100% of, of the work that I do, um, I observe that this is to be one of the most prominent and often undefined barriers to real and robust innovation and kind of moving towards more sustainability. Thank you, Christoph. So Michelle, let's now move to you with the same question. And where are you calling Thank from? You. So um, today I'm calling from Texas. And uh, just close to the West Coast, we're, we're officially based out of San Diego, but I'm in Texas today. And I want to thank you so much, Maureen, uh, for your brilliant 
podcast, and it's such an honor to be here today with you and Christoph and Koo. So in relation to why we don't have more green leaders, uh, I think uh, three quick uh, obstacles come to mind. Lack of understanding, poor communication, um, and that I think just to, to build upon what uh, Christoph had said, that broader systemic challenge. So first, many of us don't see ourselves as harming the planet or lacking social integrity. So not that we just don't want to, but we don't even see ourselves as, as that um, person. So because we're really comparing ourselves to others in that same space. So if you look around and everyone is doing business as usual, it just really feels perfectly normal and acceptable. So we don't recognize that change needs to happen. And then going into the, the communication part of it, it, it really falls on us in the industry that we've been super ineffective in how we communicate the word sustainability because it has been this abstract concept. And um, I know we've talked quite a bit about it just within the three of us to say, you know, we need to use more concrete terms that, you know, we need to follow in with risk and workflow efficiency or happy employees. And um, and even on the sustainability pathway, uh, when I was in Florida, we we're rolling out the Green Chamber in the South, you know, quite a few years ago, we really had to, you know, not ever use the word climate change, for example. It was kind of a bad word and, and we couldn't say it. And we would really pretty much chop our own, you know, feet off if we did. So we had to really just talk about the profits uh Profits being made from a sustainability perspective. And then, of course, the bigger final challenge is really looking at the systemic change, the system itself, not the people. They have been, it's been riddled with, as the experts say, inappropriate regulations, misaligned incentives, and conservative industries. So it really does sound like there's a a significant systemic issue that is underpinning the lack of progress. So, Ku, let's move to you now, and where are you located? Thank you, Maureen, for having me on this program. I'm calling in from Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Um, and to answer your earlier question, uh, at the root of it, and I mean to take a fundamental look at what the, ails the world today, I believe are the broad inequities, uh, decisions being made by the few for the interests of the many, affecting negatively the interests of the many, and in many ways, um, in terms of uh, resource utilization, environmental degradation, and a negative, creating a negative carbon footprint. The real issue is how do we address this inequity and where corporations do not take into account the impact of the behavior on the externality that both the environment and the society at large is purely for the uh, their personal interest or the uh, corporate self-interest that's the really the uh, bottom of the issue. The inequity in power and influence exists where corporations, large and small, and all sectors are driven solely by the profit motive in a sort of a hypercapitalism or supercapitalism, and this happens at the detriment of the of, of the sustainability of the planet. It is not merely cultural differentiation between uh, different countries and different parts of the world, but we need to take a look at what's the root of why corporations all behave this way, and we have to say that it's not an easy task to look at this. How the real question is, how do you imbue business leaders with the insight that profit at the world's expense is short-sighted and short-lived? 
So we have to create business who leaders, and this is not easy, who see a common stakeholderhood and to work uh, with all parties as the starting place of all the decisions that they have to make. And as you mentioned earlier, Maureen, how do we create uh, an earth-centric capitalist model that builds on innovation and entrepreneurship totally in the free market system that we should have, and yet at the same time, that's not causes the planet, the environment, and social justice? Uh, that, that's my gist of it that I think should be the issue at hand that we should address, Maureen. Thank you. So I'm going to try to sum this question up before we move to the next one. So I've heard, one, it's systemic. Two, a lot of people are not even aware of what's happening. Uh, they're just doing business as usual. And and the question of sustainability and practical approaches to address the issues just aren't in their mindsets. Uh, and in some cases, it's corporate greed that, that companies are making the choice for profit over sustainability when, in fact, there should be a both and what's a reasonable profit. And depending on your shareholders, more is better. And if there isn't a corresponding pressure either from legislation or a a more socially conscious focus, corporate leaders are going to do what their shareholders expect of them. So, so in some cases, legislation and shareholders are driving this. So with that then, with all the challenges business leaders have, and I think, Koo, you said this very well, they're the ones who have to make the decisions and, and manage multiple stakeholders. Why should leaders care to make a shift or change their models with their everyday practices. And Christoph, let's have you start again with this question. And we have three minutes left in this segment. Yes, um, actually I would like to cite um, Philip Lacombe. Um, he's, um, he's the CEO of um, this wire group, one of the few remaining colonial era um, companies in India and um, from a British family founded in 1866. And he said this really nice thing, you know, you talk about sustainability and people's eyes glaze over. You talk about energy efficiency and risk management and people say, I've got it. So what's really interesting here, what they say, you know, um, we do it. Obviously, obviously we do it. It's really important for us. Um, and we do it across the whole company. Um, so, but Outwardly, we prefer to position the topic as part of a larger discussion on financial returns and risk management. No, sorry, internally, um, we, f- we focus it on financial returns and risk management. And outwardly, we, we kind of position it as sustainability. And so it's, it's really the question of how can we translate this concept between different different groups that we are dealing with. So, um, and, I, and that's for me a great example of how important it is. It's not about doing nice. It's just about doing better business. And, and I think we are not anymore at this point that we actually have to argue for that, you know, because the evidence is just paramounting that it's better business. And yet here's my question, and I realize we have like one minute left. As long as we as consumers vote for cheap or higher returns without consideration for environmental sustainability, we're perpetuating the bad behavior. We choose with every action we take if, we've, if we purchase something from a company that 
may have a zero waste policy or a reduced waste policy compared to we give you cheap stuff and we pollute heavily. Michelle, any thoughts from you uh, given the Green Chamber role? And we have one minute to, to respond. Yeah, I mean, we, we, are, uh, we are the ones driving um, whatever business is doing. So if we demand as consumers that we, you know, that, that, that they do the job to make a, a more uh, habitable planet and um, uh, provide better social welfare, then they will respond to that. But if we don't demand, if we keep uh, voting with our dollars in the wrong way, we'll continue down the same path. So we do need to make a change as consumers, and we need to listen from a business perspective to what those consumers want, because pretty much every single survey that's out there um, that's talking to the consumers are saying over and over again, consumers want businesses to be more sustainable. Um, so sometimes there is a conflict between what they're purchasing um, and not even knowing. I think the, the, the biggest challenge that the consumers are have is how do I know what the companies are doing? So there needs to be more information out there for consumers so they can do make the right purchases and they can also let their businesses know what they want. And there is actually a business in uh, the U.K., that's tracking just that. They're tracking what the consumers want and giving it back to their business. Great. Thank you so much. So we are going to wrap up this segment. And this was talking about slow change to sustainability. When we come back, we're going to delve more into encouraging favorable corporate behavior. This is innovating leadership, driving thriving organizations, and our focus today is on sustainability, why businesses haven't embraced it yet. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The Innovative Leadership Institute is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and organization. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, the Innovative Leadership Institute has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the capacity to update how they lead, identify, and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. The Innovative Leadership Institute offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with the Innovative Leadership Institute. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com today. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. 
Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is on Instagram. Make sure you follow us and comment on our pictures from behind the scenes at our radio shows, live events, and around the network. We want to see what you have to share as well. Check us out on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Innovative Leadership, co-creating our future. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back. We're talking about encouraging favorable corporate behavior on the show regarding sustainability and why haven't businesses embraced it yet. So, Ku, we ended the last conversation on this topic of embracing. Would you give us your thoughts? Yes, I would like to. In response to customers in the marketplace, which I believe should be the driving force of all economies, uh, I believe innovation has a major, major role to play. And businesses have to respond to customers with what I would call a better mousetrap. You know the old adage that says that um, if you build a better mousetrap, everybody will, you know, uh, build a road or or create a road to your door. Uh, We need to build a more sustainable mousetrap in this case, if I may say, and create uh, choices for individuals, for consumers, where they have might not have had before. And with a better mousetrap, uh, with a better innovation that, uh, you know, create solutions to problems that have less carbon footprint and, uh, they uh, reduce environmental degradation and, and, and resolve or mitigate to a certain extent climate, the climate crisis, uh, consumers will naturally pick the better one. And at the same time, if they do uh, uh, make the choice, uh, businesses tend to profit from the innovation. So it's uh, basically a two-way street, and, and it works and feeds off each other in terms of uh, creating better business value. That's my point of view. I think that's a really important point. We have framed this conversation as either profits or sustainability. And with innovation, it seems that there will be, especially if there's a focus on it, ways to innovate that will both allow profit and sustainability. So let's move now to the next question. How can we uncover and empower culture-specific instances, examples, and models of favorable corporate behavior? So building on that idea that it may not be an either-or, but an innovation toward. And Christoph, I'm going to start again with you. And I think here I have a really short one. Is um, it's, it's first of all really stop only looking for insights in the mainstream. Um, and it's about being being bold, and um, it's about. I mean, we need good managers, and we need cautious people who really follow the rules. Because a good building and a good car and a good wind turbine, etc., they are built by meticulous attention to detail. Nevertheless, but only following the detailed rules of what's being established, we will not be able to innovate. And so, it's being to dare to move out there. And to to try to engage with those um, that 
might kind of appear a little bit geeky in what they do as an organization, but just engage with them and, and, and try to learn what are the cultural specifics and the management specifics that they are doing. And we actually just have really successful prototypes here in Ghana and in Europe, um, which now was cited by United Nations PMME, what you said in the beginning, like, which is a principle for responsible management education, kind of really looking what, how can we learn from those positive deviants and um, which are culture specific. Yeah, so I think that's my answer. Stop looking for insights in the mainstream. I love the idea of moving away from the old best practices that by the time something is deemed best, there are new and more progressive approaches. And the term positive deviance is one that I just love. So, Ku, how about you? We're, we're talking about uncovering and empowering culture-specific instances, examples, and models of favor- favorable corporate behavior. Thanks, Maureen. I, I believe we have to dig deep into our respective histories and cultures, you know, for, for solutions to this issue and this problem. For instance, examples and models uh, of corporate behavior uh, have, can, can be extended right to our, our very far past. I believe the American Indian, if I may say, shared resources as a commonwealth of nations. I mean, the, the commonwealth of Massachusetts was built on that model. The tribes and families came together, created the original model for the United States of America. The cooperative model, for example, is still very enormously successful in Europe. And in Asia, the Asian model emphasizes balance with nature and society at its core. So in other words, seeing how sustainability has degenerated into a buzzword, instead of that being the case, to adopt corporations going about their business as usual in their corporate responsibility programs, we need to emphasize planet centricity at the, as the overriding ethos of the corporate body. And placement in this way hones in on such a green value hierarchy that must be always our north star and rallying point. We look forward towards demonstrating through successful examples across the world that such planet-centricity can and should be profitable enough for a business to be viable and to prosper. So we look forward, you know, in our efforts every day uh, in, in building this ethos to modeling such examples and to replicating them in regional and local situations where they are applicable. So that would be where we need to move ahead, uh, Maureen. And I think it's a really important point that these models are regional, local, and global, uh, depending on the specific instances. So, Michelle, to you, the same question, how do we uncover and empower culture-specific instances, examples, and models of favorable corporate behavior? Well, we, we're looking at it kind of like a treasure hunt. Um, so we at the Chamber, we've been identifying the global leaders um, that have those innovative solutions and the outside-the-box ideas. Um, so that, for us, is the first step to engage and empower these new thought leaders. Uh, and we connect them and we promote their practices around the world through our Global Sustainability Leader Series. I love the idea that it's a treasure hunt and once anyone is deemed to be a treasure, they're promoted, their processes are promoted and their practices are promoted so that these don't remain hidden treasures, but they, they immediately are highlighted. So how do we create a system of engaging the majority of the business population, especially subject matter experts? And uh, Christoph, let's again, start with you. You know, I'm, I, 
I made recently this experience of doing a project here in the Netherlands, and um, and the Netherlands is eighty percent, around eighty percent of the um, uh, of the industrial power here is based on small, medium-sized enterprises. And um, we had this little conference, and there was this and the director of this organization, and he said, you know, this project was for the first pro for the first time. I made the experience here in your program that the program adjusted to my needs and not I had to adjust to your marketing model and to your growth model. So what I learned in this one was that very often when we build structures in order to engage subject matter experts or small, medium-sized enterprises, also big ones, um, we expect them to adjust to what we want. So we are running around on the search, we're running around with a hammer on the search for nails. And, and it's not about actually first listening to them. What is it that you need in order to thrive in a changing world? So, um, and this also excites me to work with Michelle and Koo because their way of creating this global network is very different from what I experienced over the last 15 years in working with big associations in this field. So, Koo, let's jump to you again. And how do how are you, and, and maybe it's you, Michelle, and Christoph, creating a system for engaging the majority of the business population, especially small to medium-sized enterprises? Well, um, the whole process begins with uh, being aware of what uh, uh, the problem is. And, and, and I think that's three-quarters uh, away, away to the solution. Um, you know, I believe non-governmental organizations, community movements, and environmentally concerned political parties even are already convinced of their need for action. But the business community is the particularly stubborn bastion of environmental bad behavior, if I may say. In the main, generally, there will always be exceptions to the rule. And this issue needs to be addressed. Institutions, you know, such as the Green Channel of Commerce, uh, as we try to recruit and get more... Uh, uh, such examples built around the world is our collective call to action, and we know that this will resonate with companies and business leaders. Huh? Uh, a business leader is driven by his or her passion to change the world. I mean, that's your contribution in terms of a new product or service that's commercially viable, hoping to change it for the better and be rewarded for it. But once a business or corporation has met the expectation of shareholders, uh, in terms of the narrow return on investment, the business leader is in danger of taking the earth negative path. So how do we encourage the flip over to seeing that the earth negative, uh, earth positive path is also a profitable one? By being aware of the potential negative impacts of corporate centricity, business leaders must develop and create yet unimagined pathways that can lead to better outcomes for their businesses, the planet and society, I believe, at large. They should reflect and change their behavior that behavior and markets will move towards truly sustainable models and solutions. We have to seek out those successful examples around the world, highlight them, showcase them, and, and, and most important of all, make them profitable. In other words, prove that they can be profitable, that sustainability can be good business. And, and that's where I think the approach needs to be made. Um, we, we fast-changing innovation and technology, companies and business leaders must stay ahead of the game ahead of the curve, I may say, and interact and learn from their peers, especially whom they share similar uh, mindsets and value systems. Maureen. 
Thank you very much. I do like the idea that that we really are changing mindsets and value systems, and those will drive very new behaviors. Michelle, on to you. Do you have anything to elaborate on what they said, or do you want us to move on to the next question? I would just want to just highlight that, just to reiterate, 95% of the world's businesses are SMEs, and so they have been pretty much left outside the door from um, an implementation or focus point, but yet how do we solve the world's problems unless we address those particular businesses, because we can't leave 95% of the businesses um, around the world outside and not provide them tools and resources. Thank you. I think that's a really important point. So how do we work with people in other countries and create a system that is cohesive but is inclusive of their cultural ethics and diversity? So back to the the both-and question, there are best practices around the world, and it is easy for people to say, but that won't work here. So, Michelle, let's start with you on this one. Thank you, Maureen. It's so important for us to understand and respect and appreciate what other cultures can bring to the table. So, yes, they are different, um, but, but we can learn so much from them. So we at the Chamber are creating a system where everyone can be connected. We call it our sustainability family, where we can all learn from each other and be there for one another. Um, we realize that every country has something valuable to share, every single one. So something unique that only they are doing and we can all learn from that. And we're in the process of traveling to every single country. And just as an example, in Kosovo, which we don't think of Kosovo as sort of the hub of sustainability, but Kosovo, for example, has a system in place where they have been able to get 20% of their entire country, and that includes the prime minister and their national army, to go out and do a garbage cleanup in one day. So 20% of the entire population has gone out and there's a system in place for them to engage that number of people. That's phenomenal. So, Christoph, we only have a couple minutes left in this segment. Would you answer the same question? Yeah, and I can I can really build on and enforce what Ku said before and also what Michelle said. It's really starting with their culture. And so culture, what is culture like belief systems and values? So it's really sitting down and listen. So what is it what is it with that point at with listening? So um, there's this, I don't know if you know this, there's this great German um, book by Michael, Michael Ende called Momo. And it's, I think it's translated into most languages on the planet, or most bigger languages. And it's actually, it features a girl that engages with people and changes their behavior just by listening. She never talks to them. She only sits down with them and she listens. And, and I think we, currently we live in a culture where we tend to talk too much. And what, I mean, but who can, who can blame us? I mean, this is what we are being trained in and actually technology makes it so easy to scale. So we're all running around and talking, 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 and we're not listening anymore. And therefore we are missing the point of identifying those brilliant nuggets, what Michelle, uh, Michelle just mentioned was, I mean, 20% of the entire population, you can achieve anything with that. It really is amazing to think about that percentage of a population. Uh, that that now sounds almost mainstream. So, Ku, in the last one minute of this segment, what can you add to this specific question? How do you work with people in other countries to create a system that is cohesive and also inclusive of their cultural ethics and diversity? Well, I see this 
current situation has an intent, unintended consequence of globalization. We have one venue, uh, the commercial uh, free enterprise or capitalistic model operating in the world today. As I've always said before, uh, life before IPO, where the entrepreneur is driven by his passion for an idea to be actualized into a business, life after IPO is driven by stakeholder or shareholder uh, expectations of how much profit you're going to make. But that alone does not uh, provide the true picture of what businesses do. They contribute to income, they contribute to uh, employment, they contribute to social good, and they contribute to a lot of benefits that uh, society itself will uh, enjoy. For example, in Bhutan, I mean, uh, the country has uh, put forward that they want to calculate their productivity in terms of gross national happiness. And I believe in New Zealand, they want to look at uh, the general welfare of the population rather than just productivity in business terms alone. So we need to have more dimensions to measure the activity within an economy, a society, and a nation, rather than just physical or or profit-based or or, or economic terms in in the narrow sense of the word, but in in larger terms. And and in that sense, the culture plays a big role. Yeah. Thank you. So, so we're hearing different perspectives on how do we identify the the positive deviance, share, do the treasure hunt, and share that information globally and encourage new behaviors, even at the same time as we recognize significant diversity among cultures and business cultures, large versus small versus entrepreneurs. So we will be back momentarily to talk about what leaders can do to make a difference in their organizations. Thank you very much, and we will be right back with you. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. The Innovative Leadership Institute is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and organization. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, the Innovative Leadership Institute has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the capacity to update how they lead, identify, and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. The Innovative Leadership Institute offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with the Innovative Leadership Institute. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com today. We all hear about information security, identity, and privacy threats. The more technology becomes part of our lives, with more data created to provide insights about our lives, the more concerned we need to be. That's why it's important to tune in to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. Host Rebecca Harold is an internationally recognized expert in these areas. Rebecca and her guests will let you know how to keep your business and personal data safe. Listen live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 
Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Innovative Leadership, co-creating our future. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future. Today, our subject is sustainability, why haven't businesses embraced it more? And in the third segment, we're going to talk about what can we do to actually embrace it? What actions can leaders take to make a difference? So let's start with the first question. How, do, how can leaders make a difference in their sphere of influence? Christoph, will you kick us off? Yeah, I think, I mean, in the segments before, we already talked about innovation and really listening and um, and really trying to understand um, what's already out there. We talked about this treasure hunt piece. No? And I think what's also really important, what I see again and again and again in all those change efforts or um, kind of systems innovation um, activities, doesn't matter if at small scale in an organization or in a whole country or region, is that it's it's so important to ensure that, that leaders or organizations um, really have structures and processes to integrate and scale the new insights that you gain from prototypes or innovative initiatives. So all too often we really see that great prototyping or great, you know, great ideas just, as we say in the Netherlands, it's just like gebakken um, lucht or like baked hot air because they are not landing somewhere that they're actually being integrated into um, strong legal and um, yeah, mainstream structures. So, this is so important. And, and for me, this really ties back to the the point at the beginning. Many people just, this isn't their focus. They're not thinking about it. So if we're not giving strong prototype structures, processes, information, it, it's not a lack of interest. It's in some cases a lack of awareness. So Michelle, over to you. Same question. How can leaders make a difference in their sphere of influence? I think... And I think uh, Christoph just answered it so well. Um, the, all, the one thing I'd really like to add is that, that we should all really think about um, surrounding ourselves with people who are not like us and who do not think like us. This is why um, Ku and Christoph and I have all connected. I am, I'm, you know, they are nothing like me in the way that I think, and they will be able to and are just creating a system for the Green Chamber that I personally could have never done. So if leaders would just stop and really say, who am I surrounding myself with, um, and really think outside the box, um, and, and yes, we talk about those innovators and system thinkers, but just how are they, diff- you know, how, how can you bring people that are different into your realm? The positive deviants, not the negative ones. Yes. So... So, Ku, uh, can you answer the same question? How can leaders make a difference in their sphere of influence? 
Yes, yes. Um, I, I would love to do this, uh, uh, this, this part of this question because uh, in, in dealing with uh, business leaders here in this part of the world, both in my country and in the region, we, we find that uh, there are a few out there who actually see that they can make a difference. And we have to, you know, encourage them to, in what they're doing, in what change they're trying to achieve. Now, to be very frank, they actually face a lot of headwinds, not from just their peers, but also from uh, some of the bureaucracy and some from society. I, I like to categorize uh, maybe the potential uh, uh, business leaders who may follow green practices or sustainable practices and such. Uh, but first are the innovators and the disruptors. You've got to give them space to do what they do. Uh, they're the ones who come up with uh, better business models or better business technology platforms to do, uh, to, to practice, provide sustainable options. And then there are those who are just adopters. They don't innovate much, but they would like to adopt whatever is presented to them because they believe that their companies can do better. And I see that there are also cynics which uh, see that they basically take on green practices because you just have to, either to report to the shareholders or to have a better position in the public space. But in all these categories, uh, they have to be encouraged. Space needs to be given to them. I, 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 I believe that uh, the business leaders from themselves have to, you know, get together and, and, and work together just as uh, Michelle has said. In, in, in Malaysia, we look at tourism as a big issue. Um, and in waste management too, you know, we have this big problem with plastic waste at the moment, dumping it into Malaysia from all corners of the world, developed world. <laughs> and, and we look at, um, you know, various countries in our neighborhood, like Bangladesh is a, it's a fun state, uh, it's a fun line state for climate change or the climate crisis that we're going to face it. How are we going to deal with them together? And, and issues like this become, uh, you know, a matter of regional concern, not just one country alone. And if a company or a business leader can think in terms of the larger environment they're in rather than just the system boundary of their own business, uh, limited system boundary in the sense that they only measure profitability from what they, they, they work on without impact on the environment at large, then you have big issues. So I, I, I see from that point of view, Ms. Uh, Maureen, you know, it seems like at this point, global corporations can exert a level of pressure and involvement that only they can do because they are global, not regional. So they have a larger sway in some cases than entire countries. And if we really want to move the needle, our large corporates need to be involved, and many of them are, and many of them are taking a positive leadership role. So, so on that theme, what pitfalls do leaders need to avoid when making decisions? Uh, Michelle, let's have you talk next. I think that we need to stop being so timid and cautious in our approach. So if you have a new idea to disrupt the norm, you need to be really courageous and move towards implementation. So it's not always easy to step outside of what has been that tradition, but um, you can find your tribe that will believe in you and help you implement. Thank you. Uh, Christoph. Yeah, you know, I love this question because I have this really strong, this really strong opinion here that I think most 
businesses, small, medium-sized businesses, but also medium to medium-large-sized businesses, what they do is um, they're going into the, they're preparing a meeting where they have to make an important decision about the business case or how where to innovate. And in the process of designing this meeting, um, who's designing it? It's um, it's kind of the third, fourth level of management there, and. Where do they get the inspiration from? Very often, what I observe, they go to the internet, and and use this one ta- one page templates from the internet. And so, I think the pitfalls that we have to avoid is stop using context loose templates, one page templates from the internet that you don't know what the tools are actually designed for. And this is connects back to my very first beginning statement of saying we often use tools that we actually don't know what they will do because we just use them without actually really knowing. We say, oh, this looks nice. You know, it's a nice template and I can use this to prepare my next step in my process and project design and um, in my management design. But actually by using them, I'm invoking certain structures and certain behaviors and business relationships and leadership structures that just repeat to create the stuff that we actually want to overcome. So stop using one-page templates from the internet. You know, I want to jump in on this as well. Uh, one of the things that I teach and I find it really powerful it is it comes out of integral theory, and it's the idea that I have to look at my values as the leader, the culture of the organization now and what we're moving toward the processes and procedures that are driving us. So that could be everything from policies to laws and and then look at the behaviors we're trying to evoke from our team and it's taking this holistic view and so Christoph, it's the opposite of cutting and pasting it's this process imbues us with the values the outcomes it kind of what does the future call from us what's the legacy we're going to create by by integrating the values and almost if I look at my stakeholders and add into a to that conversation our grandchildren our great-grandchildren how does that change our decisions so Ku, let me throw this over to you what pitfalls do leaders need to avoid when making decisions well uh, good question Maureen they they the question of uh, what decisions they have to make in terms of their cooperation right, is really driven by uh, whether their marketplace uh, will accept those decisions and whether their shareholders will accept those decisions. And these are the two sources of the drivers that CEOs and business leaders have to really, really pay attention to. Uh, if the shareholders and the customers do not um, have much care or concern for the environment, then the CEO will have to, you know, really have a tough touch to make. And, and, and this is where the, back to the issue of the profit motive and hyper-capitalism in that sense to the extreme uh, takes place. So that's a very much, that's very much a danger point or a, a, a minefield in which the CEO has to navigate. Uh, he himself may see sustainability as a very good thing and, and the balance that needs to be achieved as the end goal of his organization. But if this conflict arises, uh, customers prefer, you know, uh, non-sustainable solutions. Uh, is that to be tender to them? Definitely not. But then where does his bottom line lie? That's the question he needs to face. Shareholders too. Can they be uh, weaned away from expecting uh, 
profit increase year after year after year on an unfaithful rate in the sense that it costs the environment and the planet and people, uh, will that be in the very long term just uh, sustainable and, 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 and good for its business? The questions like this has to be addressed head on. So that's what I see the pitfalls are, Pauline. Thank you. And thank you for posing those questions. So, Michelle, I want to ask you the next question. What will partnering with the Green Chamber of Commerce accomplish for leaders? And we are, as we're moving toward the end of the program, I want to make sure we keep our, our answers a bit concise so we can give our listeners additional resources. Absolutely. Um, so, with the leaders will find that they, others will support them, their new ideas, and they, again, I, I'll mention those terms, they will be part of this new sustainability family or network. Um, they will learn about new systems, just like what we've been talking about today, that will guide them on a path towards really a brighter economic future and together. So together, we have this amazing opportunity to be the generation that saved the planet <laughs> from the climate crisis. Um, but we can do that through our businesses and new systems that we really put in place. And Chamber Partners are part of that positive momentum. Great. Thank you. So I love the idea that Chambers are, the Green Chamber, are positive partners So leaders who want to ensure their businesses leapfrog into the future, transitioning through ecological collapse, tectonic shifts in markets, and godlike technologies might want to follow the simple formula. Take the business benefit, then subtract the environmental impact, which we are not doing now, and multiply the results by societal acceptance to know if their decisions, the decisions that they're making help thrive in the future. So planting, again, the the stakeholder of our future generations into that conversation can drive a very different thought process. So as we wrap, how would people learn about more about some resources that will help them put sustainability first and move their businesses in that direction? Uh, Christoph. So um, I think that one of the first things is um, there's a series of conferences and events going on over the next, um, this year, next year, and over the next years. Um, and this year we're starting um, in um, in Malaysia, in, in Brunei, and, and Singapore. And um, But all around the world, as Michelle already mentioned, there are always those events, bigger, smaller, etc. And there are also online events. So um, I think it's about just reaching out. And um, and other resources, I think, is and this connects back to how do I communicate this this uh, this topic of sustainability. You find a lot of resources for, of how to communicate it if you go and start embracing the health conversation and the safety conversation or the engagement conversation. How do I engage my employees or my customers? But also the health and safety. If you start looking into those fields kind of not the standard sustainability field, but those fields, you find a lot, a lot of inspiration of how to communicate it within your stakeholder system. Okay, we have literally one minute to close. So give us websites to contact um, Michelle and Koo. Yes, so our website is usgreenchamber.com. And again, it's US like in United States 
greenchamber.com, so usgreenchamber.com. And we're also going to be rolling out in the next uh, month or so globalgreenchamber.org. So either one of those, you can get in touch with us, and I we can connect you to Ku and Christoph as well. And, and I know that, Christoph, you have, you have uh, your company as well. Thank you very Hello. much to our listeners. We're wrapping. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll join us then and have a great week.